Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. This week's sermon will be given by Chaplain Tim Wilson. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this house, and we invite you into our hearts. We ask that we would worship you, and as, as a star led the wise men to you, God, it led them to worship. We ask that we would be led to worship today. And we would see you for who you are, that you came to us and you came to save us. And God, that the response that we would have is we would go tell it on the mountains. We would tell our neighbors. We would tell everybody what you've done and that we would worship you. Join us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so at this point, I'd like to to invite Michaela and Gideon Grins to come up and lead us in our Advent reading for this Sunday. Matthew 2, 10 through 11 reads, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their gifts and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. On this third Sunday of Advent, as we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, we light the third candle, the candle of joy. When Christ comes into our lives, he brings the fullness of joy. He anoints our hearts with the oil of gladness. When Jesus was born, the angels said that his coming was good news of great joy for all people. Because Christ has come to us, we can live every day in the joy of the Lord. Praise to his name. Amen. Good morning, All-American Chapel. My name's Tim Wilson. I think I know most of you, but for those of you who might be visiting with us for the first time, um, I'm one of the pastors here at All-American Chapel. And I got to let you in on some, some inside baseball this morning. So I, I get to chapel today. I'm teaching Sunday school, left Sunday school class a little early, came into the sanctuary. And um, as the associate pastor, what, what my, my role is sometimes is just kind of doing some QAQC right before the service starts, making sure that we have everything here for the service. And... We're, I thought we, everything was, was squared away, ready to go. We, I stand, and we're, we're singing uh, with the praise team. Thank you so much, praise team, for leading us. And I started perusing the, the, the platform, and I noticed somebody's missing. Do you notice who's missing this morning? Jesus isn't here. And so I'm starting to think, okay, who stole Jesus. And I'm like, it can't be any of the youth because I taught youth Sunday school this morning with Chaplain Grotty. So I know it wasn't any of our teenagers who might be pulling a joke on us. Um, it might be one of our kids, I don't know. And I started going through my mind, oh my goodness, who could have stole Jesus this morning? And then I realized, you know, we're not the only ones that use this chapel. We have Catholic Mass before the, our Protestant service. And for those of you who come from a Catholic tradition or those of you who come from a liturgical tradition and are are familiar with the Advent season, Advent means the coming of Christ. And so those who come from that tradition, they don't put out Jesus until Christmas Day or closer to Christmas Day. So I'm like, okay, we're all good. Nobody stole Jesus this morning. And so, but before I thought about that, I'm thinking, you know what? We might have to play hide and seek this morning. You know, we're going to have to seek out Christ. And hopefully we're going to find him. And I think that if that was happening this morning, there would be a lot of joy when we found Christ. There really would be. 
And oh, by the way, our, our religious affairs specialist, if you guys know where Jesus is this morning, please make sure that next week um, he will be out at the display, especially for the Protestant service, because that kind of freaks us out a little bit. But anyway, seeking Christ and finding him leads to joy, doesn't it? In fact, that's the working definition that we're going to have as we're focusing in on joy this morning. This is our working definition. Joy, I've been told as a Christian, by the way, that, that joy is not an emotion. And so I started looking through, amen, sister, I started looking through all the commentaries and the theological books that I have, and I came to find something. And that joy is an emotion. It's not based on our circumstances, but it is an emotion. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling in a specific place in our soul. It's a good feeling in our soul when the Holy Spirit causes us to seek, find, and worship Christ as King. Let me say that one more time. And in fact, if you've got a pen or a pencil, if you have one of those writing devices in your bulletin, we, we provide you a space to, to take some notes, you might want to write that down. Because joy is a good feeling in the soul when the Holy Spirit causes one to seek, find, and worship Christ as King. Now, most of us are on the half-day schedule now. For those of you who are, are, are working here at Fort Bragg, you know we're on the half-day schedule. And for those of you who are retired, you remember that half-day schedule. And you remember how much we look forward to that. Half-day schedules mean that there's going to be more Christmas parties. Half-day schedules mean that there's going to be a lot of, of family events. There's going to be revelry taking place. Hopefully everything's going to be legal, moral, and ethical with that revelry. But there also might be those who are seeking spiritual nourishment during this season. Some might be sitting here this morning in chapel saying, I want to experience joy during Christmas. I don't want this to just be focused in on the material items that I receive under the Christmas tree. I want it to be more than just all of the commercials and all of the lights, as cool as they are. I'm not saying those things are bad. But I want it to be more. I want to experience something within my soul that only God produces when one seeks and finds and worships Christ as King. I want to have a different Christmas this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, joy will elude you. In fact, joy eludes anyone who fails to seek Christ as King. So with that in mind, if, if you still have your, your finger here on, on this, this passage in the Scripture, um, look at Matthew chapter 2 once again. If you don't have that open in your Bibles, please open to that section in your Bibles. If you need one of the pew Bibles, it's found on page 1501. This morning we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And as you're turning to this passage... As we're thinking about joy this morning, I want you to pay attention to the details of the Christmas story. Because if you do, I think you'll see the results of seeking Christ here in Matthew 2. And we'll have the opportunity to experience joy this Christmas season. Matthew chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When the king heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. We'll stop there. Israel has had a contentious relationship with kings since the beginning. In fact, if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 8, not right now, later on. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you'll see where when Samuel was one of the judges, Samuel was approached by Israel and they said, we want a king just like all the other countries. Essentially they were saying, Samuel, we want an earthly king so we'll fit in with everyone else. And that disturbed Samuel. Because Samuel knew that the true king of Israel is God himself. And so Samuel inquired of the Lord about what he was supposed to do. And God told Samuel, it's okay. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. Because I'm their king. But go and tell them that there's going to be consequences to rejecting me as their king. Because an earthly king will not treat you as I've treated you, says the Lord. Tim Wilson paraphrased there. And you can look at all the details of that when you look at 1 Samuel chapter 8 for yourself. So there was this contentious relationship with the earthly kings that Israel now had over them. As you look throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that most of these kings did not choose to follow God. They, cho they chose to lead the children of Israel away from God. Fast forward to around 1 A.D., and now, what's left of Israel has a king by the name of Herod. And he's called the Great. Herod the Great. And he wasn't called Herod the Great because of the popular vote. It wasn't because everybody liked him. He was called Herod the Great because of all the buildings that he built and because he was able to keep Palestine in line for Rome. He was selected for that position by Rome, who was in charge of the area and the people that we know as the Israelites at that time. Rome's in charge, they choose Herod to be the king, and he doesn't even fit the bill for what an Israelite king should be. He's an Idumean, or from the Edomites, from Edom. That means he did, he's a descendant of Esau. Israel's a descendant of who? Jacob. They're brothers, but do they get along? No. There's conflict between Jacob and Esau. Herod's from Esau. The people don't like him. So he's probably got this chip on his shoulder, always trying to prove that he's the true king of the Jews. And here the Magi arrive. Can you imagine the courage or the stupidity that it took for these magi to come up to the king of the Jews and say, we're looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. They ask him directly. Can you imagine how that made him feel? Who? I'm the king. Who are they talking about? And notice what they said. Who is born king of the Jews. Not who is born to be king of the Jews. So the one that we're looking for, Herod, 
He already has all the qualifications that you don't have. They didn't say that, but that's what they're kind of alluding to. Wow. And so we look in this passage of Scripture and we see that this disturbs Herod as well as the rest of Jerusalem. This disturbs him because he doesn't want a rival for his throne. He doesn't want anyone else to be in charge but himself. And from this story and from our understanding of history, we see that Herod's opposition to, king, to Christ as king, it doesn't lead to the emotion of joy. Herod's opposition to Christ as king doesn't lead to this good feeling within his soul, this emotion. In fact, if we were to take the time to continue to read in Matthew chapter 2, towards the end of the chapter, we would see that Herod's opposition to Christ as king leads to murder. It leads him to kill all the little boys from two years old and younger because he doesn't want this one that was born to be king of the Jews to take his position, to take the throne of Israel. He doesn't want anyone else to be in charge. He wants to be in charge. And as I think about my life, I see a lot of similarities between me and Herod. Not the murderer's part, by the way, so not to worry about that. But if I were to be honest, most of the time I struggle with who's in charge of my life because I have this throne in my heart. And on a regular basis, I have to ask myself, who's in charge here? Is it me or is it Christ? And as I look out at our congregation this morning, unfortunately, I see a lot of Herods. Again, not the end of the story, but here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 2. A lot, I see a lot of people, and also I see someone as I look in the mirror, who resemble what's said in this poem by Invictus. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We resonate with the song by Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. I want to be in charge. You want to be in charge. But ladies and gentlemen, you and I need to understand that that doesn't lead to joy. Opposition to Christ as king does not lead to joy. We were not designed to be independent from the Almighty. In fact, opposition to Christ as king, just like with Herod, it's going to lead us to dark places. It's going to lead you down a path that you don't want to go. Because you are designed to be dependent upon the Almighty. You're designed to be dependent upon Christ as King in your life. And until you get to that point where you stop opposing Him as your King, as your Lord, as your boss, you're never going to experience joy. 
Now, I can see it in your eyes right now. I'm a mind reader. You didn't know about that, did you? No, I'm not. Just kidding. But most of you are sitting here right now saying, I've got it, chaplain. I don't I, I have no opposition to Christ being king, being Lord of my life. I've got it. No opposition. But if I were to be honest with you, I'm kind of apathetic towards the whole subject. You know? I'm not really opposing him, but I'm also not really asking him to be in charge of my life. So, question for you. What does apathy lead to? Does apathy lead to joy? Let's keep reading in the passage, beginning in verse 4. When he, meaning Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Well, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, or by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Let's stop there for just a moment. There's only one chief priest. But here in this passage of scripture it says the chief priests. So, so what's going on there? Well, most of the time, because there was no longer this separation between the church and the state there, where the, the, the religion of the Israelites was now so connected with Rome, sometimes you would have the chief priest or the high priest that was really supposed to hold that title, but also because of Rome's connection, Herod might have at this point appointed another chief priest. So there's like two commanders right now. There, there's two leaders there might be multiple leaders. In fact, because of Rome's misunderstanding of the Jewish religion, they might be pointing to several other people, excuse me, several other people within the temple, and calling them chief priests. So you've got several people who hold this title chief priests. Or it might have been something with Herod saying, hey chief, come on over here. Who knows? But they're called the chief priests. But also the scribes are coming in. Who are the scribes? The scribes are just kind of how it sounds. They're, they're the writers. They're the ones who have written down the law. And their understanding of Jewish law and Jewish scripture was probably unparalleled within Jewish society. The chief priests and the scribes understood the 613 laws that Jewish people had to follow. The chief priests and the scribes understood the 400 prophecies written in what we call now the Old Testament describing who the Messiah is supposed to be. Who's the king? Who's the one that's coming? Where are they coming from? What's the description of this person? What's going to happen in their life? The chief priests and the scribes knew this information. And just like um, one of the pharaohs seeking out um, his, his wise men and his, the people that were, that were around him that he would seek for advice. Just like in the book of Daniel, when he sought out the, the, the magi and the wise men there to seek out counsel. Herod the Great is also has that, that same type of mentality. He's looking at these religious men, these chief priests and these scribes, and he's saying these magi have come from the east and they're telling me about the birth of the king of the Jews. Tell me what you know about it. 
And what did they do? They told him. Because they're the subject matter experts. They know what's going on. And then what did they do? Nothing. They did nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, it's only six miles between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Ladies and gentlemen, these men of God, supposedly, who knew the Scripture and should be tracking what's taking place, it's a six-mile journey between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And Herod says, these magi, these guys who, who study the stars, they said that it's time. Is that true? And they're like, yeah, true. He's in Bethlehem. They were so apathetic. They knew everything that was going on, and they just didn't care. And you and I might not hold the title of chief priests and scribes, but ladies and gentlemen, apathy is running rampant in the church. We know about Jesus. We know about the Old Testament and the New Testament. We know about Christ as the king. We also know about Christ as the coming king. And we don't give a rip. We don't care. It doesn't affect our lives whatsoever. And that's sad. It really is. I had a seminary professor by the name of Dr. Roy Fish. He was my evangelism professor. I think by the time I went to seminary in the 90s, he was probably close to 90. I don't know. He was an old man. But he was wise. And I remember one of the first classes that I had with him. And he looked at us and he said, Pastors, you come to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary with full hearts and empty heads. By the time we're finished with you, if you leave this seminary with a full head and an empty heart, we've done you a disservice. And I've thought about that quote over the years. As God has allowed me to grow in knowledge of the Scripture and grow in knowledge of His church and His people and grow in knowledge of how He wants me to take care of people. And I've got all this information in my head and it's always a gut check for me about these 18 inches between my head and my heart. And I ask myself, is apathy setting in? Do I really care? Because ladies and gentlemen, from the pulpit, from the Sunday school, and from everyone that's sitting in the pew right now, we do not have a head knowledge problem in the church, do we? We know more about the scripture today than probably any other generation in the kingdom of God. We have so many resources just right at our fingertips. You can Google anything about the scripture and you'll have all these resources. Head knowledge is not our problem, it's heart knowledge. We just don't care. And apathy, apathy does not lead to joy. Apathy 
this good feeling in the soul that comes about when one is seeking and finding and worshiping Christ as king. That doesn't happen if you're apathetic. You have to care. Christ has to make a difference in your life. It's more than just school. It's more than just knowledge. You have to have a heart relationship with him. Opposition to Christ as king doesn't lead to joy. Apathy does not lead to joy. In fact, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus said, your lukewarmness, your apathy makes me sick. I wish you didn't even know about me. If you're going to be apathetic, choose. So, if opposition and apathy to Christ is king, if that doesn't lead to joy, how can we experience joy this Christmas season? Look with me in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the star with his mother Mary. Excuse me, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The word magi is the root of where we get our word, our title, magician. These were the magic men. And they weren't magic because they were pulling stuff out of their coats and um, the sleight of hand. That wasn't the type of magician that they were. They were the ones that were able to interpret dreams and give counsel based upon their reading of the stars. We hear about the Magi in the book of Daniel. They're a part of that group that the king of Babylon at that time was seeking information from because of their ability to interpret dreams and later on because of their ability to read the stars. History tells us that these magi were pagans, yet they were also monotheistic. Their religion was very similar to Judaism. In fact, they had a sacrificial system that was very similar to the Jews at that time. And so here comes Daniel, and here comes all of these other Jews. And Daniel, and when we read in the book of Daniel, in those first few chapters, we see that Daniel is able to interpret dreams. And Daniel, at a, on a very quick pace, he is able to become the leader of these guys called the wise men or the magi. And he, Daniel, as well as all the other Jews that they're having, having um, encounters with, they're starting to have this impact on the magi's culture and the Magi's religion, and everything that they're studying. 
fast forward, and all over the years, these magi are hearing about this Messiah, the one true king. And they're learning how to interpret the stars, and they're having dreams. And God, as he miraculously does, throughout different cultures, as he's doing right now in pagan religions, he's getting people's attention and showing them that there is one true God, that there is one true king, and that there's only one way to experience joy, just like he's doing today, back at this point in time, through these magi who are in the east, which, by the way, here's some free chicken. As you look in Scripture, when people are turning away from, from their, their heathenism, from their paganism, from their sin, the Scripture always shows them going west. Just, just a neat little detail that Andy told me about, so I thought I'd share that with you. They're going west. So here are these magi. They're looking at the stars, and they see this star. There is this divine sign that God has placed within the universe to show them that the one has come. The one that we heard about last week that is our hero. The one that is our Messiah. The one that is the true king. And we see their reaction to this. They left everything that they knew. They left their Babylonian, their Medo-Persian, their culture, their religion, their family, their friends, their jobs, and they went west. Seeking Christ the King. They sought Him. And they found Him. And as they laid those gifts down, they paid homage to a king. But there are some scholars that said that they were paying homage. They understood that they were paying homage to a divine king. To the divine king. And they're the only ones in this story who experience something called joy. In fact, that word overjoyed has been interpreted in other English translations of the Scripture by, in this way. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That's a, a big description. You know what that means? They were delirious. <laughs> they were delirious. They were fired up because the one that they had been seeking, they found him. They miraculously found him. And this find, and if I was a high-speed chaplain, this is when I would pull Jesus out from back here and I'd place him at the manger. They found him. And they worshipped him. So some of you are right now saying, okay, I got it, chaplain. In an abstract way, I got it. I believe you. I'm tracking. I know that G I don't need to oppose Christ as king. I know that I don't need to be apathetic. I know I need to seek and find and worship Christ as king in order for me to experience joy. So, so how do I do that? Land the plane for me, chaplain. Bring this home to me. How does someone do this? Help me to apply this message to my life. How do I experience joy? Well, just as we see in Scripture, first of all, you have to seek Christ. And that's going to take time. 
that's going to take you pulling out your calendar and setting aside one of your, your most valuable resources, and that is time. The way that we in 2018 seek Christ is through prayer, through studying the scriptures, just like the Magi did, through seeking Christ, seeking that knowledge of Him, memorizing the scriptures, spending time with Him. If I'm going to have a relationship with anyone, I've got to spend time with them. Becky and I went out on a date last night. Praise the Lord. High five. I've got a relationship with her. I spend time with her. We had to set aside that time because our lives are busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. And you're going to have to be intentional if you're going to seek Christ as your king. You've got to say, you know what? I'm committing my life, and my life is spelled T-I-M-E, time. So in your mind right now, Pull out your calendar. Are you willing to commit time to seeking Christ? Are you willing to commit energy to seeking Christ? If he's going to be your king, that means he does not just get your leftovers. If I have enough energy at the end of the day, then I will seek Christ as king. No. Can you imagine the time and the energy that it took the Magi to seek Christ as king? To go from the east to the west? It takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of energy. And the biblical example that we see is that we have to be willing to commit that time and energy to seeking Christ. What's those energy zappers in your life? What's the ways that you get re-energized? Because it's going to take time and energy to seek Christ as your king. And then finally, it's going to take some adjustments on your part. Now, I have to be careful here. Some of you are thinking, right now, you know, the adjustments that I need to make is I need to leave everything that I have right now and follow Christ. And some people have taken that to the extreme. They're like, I need to leave my family right now and I need to follow Christ. That's not what I'm saying right now. I need to leave my job in order to follow Christ. That's not what I'm saying right now. I'm saying look at the areas in your life that are already established, and how do you make adjustments within those parameters? For example, with your family, how can you honor Christ and seek Christ in your relationship with your spouse, in the relationship with your children, in the relationship that you have with your parents, or your brother, or your sister? Seek Christ in those relationships, not just outside of those relationships. How can you seek Christ in your job right now? Or in your retirement right now? You start with where you're at, and then you move towards Bethlehem. It takes time, though. It takes energy. It takes adjustments. But it also takes a miracle. The Magi only saw Christ as king when they saw that star. The star was from God. And ladies and gentlemen, you can put all the time and effort and adjustments into seeking Christ as your king or as your Lord or as your Savior, and it's not going to happen unless God intervenes. 
It takes a miracle for someone to experience joy. It takes God intervening in our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. He has to intervene. But here's the cool thing that we see in Jeremiah 29. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. All of your heart means that you are giving your time and your energy. You're making these adjustments. And God promises, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. Also, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So ladies and gentlemen, we're drawing this, this service to a close. We now know the secret of joy. Joy is this emotion, this feeling within our souls given to us by the Holy Spirit when we seek, find, and worship Christ as King. How do you go from this just being head knowledge though in your life to this being heart knowledge? You act on what you know. That means some of you as individuals and some of you as families. This morning, you need to come here to this altar. You thought these were just steps, didn't you? This is an altar. You need to come today with your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I commit my time and my energy. I commit my calendar. I commit my life to seek you, Christ, as king. But I know it can't happen unless you intervene. Please, God, let me find you. Let me worship you. I want to know you as my king. This needs to not just be head knowledge. This is where it becomes heart knowledge. That's why we, on kind of a slowly but sure, sure basis, we're giving you this opportunity to respond. Christians, you need to be here at the altar this morning. But some of you this morning... You're here for various reasons, and you don't know Christ as your king. You've never even made that commitment. You might have been in total opposition like Herod. You might have been apathetic like the chief priest. But you're, the, today, this message has, has, is home for you right now. And you're like, I need to know Jesus. I need to quit playing games. In just a moment, I think it's Andy and I think Matt are going to be here. They're going to be sitting here or standing by these, these front pews. I'm going to be here. If you want to come to know Christ as your king, you need to talk to someone about what it means to be a Christian. Come forward. I'll be standing here. I'll receive you. I'll direct you to one of our chaplains. They'll take you in one of these back rooms here, the sanct well, the, this little section over here, and they will talk to you more about what it means to be a Christian. For the rest of us, the altar's open. We have to decide, are we going to experience joy? We know what it takes. Let's respond accordingly. Praise team, if you'll come at this time. The praise team is going to lead us in song. But as they're singing, I encourage you, don't wait. Come forward and experience joy. For some of you, the first time experience joy. 
this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message that we've heard from your word. Through song, through the reading of scripture, we ask now that you would lead us to make the decisions that you want us to make now. Give us the courage to respond accordingly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.